0: The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast.
1: This is the scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish, and I am here with Ben Rock and Bob Derosa, uh, and I'll let them introduce themselves.
2: Hello, I'm Ben Rock. This is the sound of my voice. How you doing?
0: And I'm Bob Derosa. That's Whoa. it. That's it. There was a that's pause, like I was going to do more stuff. Are we nothing.
2: done? All right, that was a great podcast, guys. Yep. Thanks.
1: That, that, that's a wrap. Long-time listeners of Scream Kings probably know that uh, we are big fans of a previous project that Ben and Bob worked on, uh, specifically Video Palace, uh, the podcast that they did for Shudder. They are back with a new project, and uh, we, of course, had to have them on uh, to talk about it. So yeah, let's just kind of hear a little bit more about your guys' careers and you know, kind of how you came to be working together. and. Um, then we'll jump into a little bit more about kind of what's happened with Video Palace in the meantime and, and kind of go from there. All right. Bob, you usually start.
2: Do you want to start?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm trying to remember how I start. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Ben and I are both, when uh, we met as aspiring filmmakers in Orlando, Florida. And uh, there's like one amazing independent theater in town called the Enzion and that's where the Florida Film Festival is, which is a big deal. And Ben and I both had short films that we directed and written that were uh, showing at one of their showcases. And we met in the parking lot, kind of had a, uh, a, a fan moment where we both just mentioned how much we enjoyed each other's work. And that started our friendship. And um, years later, let's see, um, I was looking for a job and Ben recommended me. And I got hired by the Florida Filmmaker to be a film festival programmer. Florida,
2: Florida Film Festival. What did I say? Filmmaker.
0: Yeah. For- Florida Film Festival, and so I got a job there thanks to Ben's recommendation. And about a month later, Ben went to uh, Sundance to help promote a film he helped originate called the Blair Witch Project. Little movie, no one's really heard of it. Yeah, you want to take over, Ben?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. So around the time, uh, around the time Blair Witch played at Sundance, in fact, the week Blair Witch played at Sundance, I had moved to LA. And uh, on the strength of uh, the, (laughs) I wouldn't say on the strength of the movie, on the strength of the doors that that movie opened for me prematurely in my fledgling career, I was able to uh, get in and and start directing, uh, which is what I always wanted to do. And uh, also uh, started kind of breaking into the L.A. theater scene when Bob moved out here. A couple of years later, we were actually doing a night of one act plays that he had uh, written. So he like flew out to L.A. and, uh, you know, put his stuff in uh, his new place and then came to see a play uh, with all uh, like four one act plays that he'd written, uh, fully produced. And uh, he and I kind of kept the the theater dream going uh, while our careers uh did what careers do you know uh you know you're up you're down you're up you're down and that whole time we were also doing tons of theater work there's a, a, a specifically at sacred fools which is a theater here in la and we did a lot of like goofball late night uh super gross gross out uh comedy stuff in a show that they had called uh, crime scene and then serial killers um, which was a lot of fun but you're entertaining you know at most 100 drunk people at 11 o'clock on a Saturday. And uh, some years later, I said, "Hey, what if we took this much effort and put it into making like a web series?" And that was how Twenty Seconds to Live was born. Yeah,
0: and Twenty Seconds to Live is a horror comedy anthology. Uh, ben pitched me the idea. It's hilarious. It's super fun. We wrote a you know I wrote a bunch of episodes. Ben and I co-wrote some, and he directed all of them. And we created the show with our our friend producer Kat Pasiak and an amazing cast and crew and we did two seasons of that. We played film festivals all around the world, won a bunch so of much awards. Fun. It was an incredible experience. It kind of, honestly, like Ben and I have both had careers in film and TV, but it's just, there's so many low points, so many points where you just, you're just fighting to get a yes and you can't get one. So like to actually make our own thing for us that went out and people loved and got us awards and got us to meet other filmmakers. It just, that was, it was a really important time. I think for both of us, it just reminded us that we like making stuff and like making stuff with our friends.
2: Yeah. It's the most frustrating thing about this business is waiting and waiting and waiting and, and getting somebody to select you. And when you can green light yourself, it's always, it's always better, but also like those are the times, like, you know, we didn't make any money doing 20 seconds to live or anything you couldn't support yourself doing it. It was, uh, you know, it was a lot of energy and money and time uh, put into it, and we loved, you know, every second of doing it. It, it was actually, uh, I don't think that we had finished the second season of 20 Seconds to Live. We'd shot it. We hadn't finished it when uh, we were approached about doing Video Palace by uh, Mike Manello and Nick, Nick Bracchia. And uh, Mike is one of the Blair Witch guys. And uh, he, Mike and I had been talking for years about like, hey, what if we made like a, what if we made a podcast that was like a horror fiction podcast, but used sort of the, the language, the audio language of podcasting, like serial or something like that. And um, as happenstance would have it, Mike and Nick had created this thing and Shutter wanted to do it. And Mike came to me and said, hey, would you like to write and direct it? And I said, I'd love to, I'd love to write and direct it, but could I bring my friend Bob on to do, on to write it with me? Uh, Bob, not only do Bob and I just have a great shorthand and we love working together, but Bob also has a lot of network television uh, experience. So, you know, we, I, I wanted to work with someone who understood episodic better than I did for sure and uh and so we uh we did that and that was like the fastest turnaround project ever we we were uh we started doing it in June and we turned in like 3 hours of final mixed audio in like th- at the very very beginning of September of the same year. Uh, uh uh catchers our new project uh was not that fast of a turnaround.
1: Oh yeah no you you've been hinting about catchers uh for a while on Twitter, and
2: yeah, well, and I only started hinting at it. Uh, I only started hinting at it when it when I could sort of see the head when it was like, oh, okay, like this is going we're gonna finish this and it's gonna come out and you know in, in the relative short term. But it's been, uh, yeah, it, we we pitched the idea that is catchers uh, in what 2019, Bob was it 20? 2019, yeah, Febru- February of 2019 yeah and uh and we were uh we were writing it when the pandemic started hey uh yeah. bob and ben this is max the other co-host of the scream kings thanks for, hey, for max.
3: being on the show sorry i was late halloween Thank you for having us
2: <laughs>
3: i just have to jump in here and say in regards to catchers i i love video palace so much and i have just been dying for more content and so once mm. i i kind of i mean Ben, you had alluded to something last time we had you on the show that you were working on something, which caused me to go into some, some zealous, you know, iTunes checking, you know, every other month looking, is it up? Is it up? Is it up? You could just ask.
2: I'm not, I'm not quiet about it.
3: <laughs> so finally getting some of that, that fever on, on Twitter and whatnot for catchers. It was, it was just
2: like, ah, finally. So good. Oh, cool. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: I don't know. Or, yeah, I, I didn't mention this when when I was first, you know, saying how much we loved uh, Video Palace. But the, the year that Video Palace dropped uh, was the only year that we have done uh, an awards of like our favorite horror of the year, and it was our number one favorite thing that year. So oh, I remember that. That oh, was so awesome.
3: You. Yeah, I mean, anytime people find out I'm a podcaster, they you know they always go, "Oh, well, what would you recommend?" Right? Always. Asking for the new show to listen to, and without doubt, Video Palace is. If you like something scary and easy to listen to, check out Video Palace because oh, it's just to me, it's kind of the zenith of this subculture where Blair Witch meets podcasting. Right? I, you, you said it, fantastic! It's kind of this this awesome intersection
2: and i need more where's video palace season two guys oh my god but i i i mean like believe me we want to do video palace season two shutter owns it and one day they may decide to do it i know that uh not to get too into the nut meat of uh inner amc uh kind of politics but as i understand it uh what happened when they because they wanted to do a season two was that around that time AMC basically went to all their smaller networks and and cut off their ability to do originals, and Shutter was doing Creep Show, but for whatever reason uh, Video Palace season two didn't make the cut, and also like around that time uh, two of the three of our executives from Video Palace left Shutter, and so you know I, I know that I know they're still aware of the property. Mike Minello and Nick Brocky are still pushing it. You know there are still some some things that may come out, but like you know we we had uh i think uh i think it's fair to say two kind of completely different ideas for season 2 that i thought would have uh rocked the house and i was really excited about them both and uh you know so maybe one day we can do it i i, I don't know it it makes me sad cuz i i love that project i loved working with every person who worked on that it was just a, a pleasure it was you know we had to work fast which you know it sucks when you have to work too fast but you know like the people that we brought in most of them hadn't done anything like that Bob and I hadn't done anything like that and it was you know one of those projects where you just learn so much every day that you're working on it and uh and and have a blast and I you know I just love the cast that we had we, everything everything about that experience is really uh, very very positive to me it's one of the it's also like I don't I don't know how you feel about this Bob but like one of the things that I I've gotten to make in my life that the end product came out pretty much exactly the way I wanted it. Like the it, it didn't feel compromised or like, oh, if only we'd had blah, blah, blah. Like I really wouldn't change anything about it if I could.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And it, it's really rare in this business to make something because it's, it's always, everything's made by committee. There's whoever's paying the bills, there's executives, there's producers, there's talent. Everybody brings their own ideas to the table and you've got to kind of synthesize that on the writing stage. And then, you know, you're, synthesizing it on the directing and the, the post-production stage. And then by the time you actually, the thing is done, you look at it and you go, kind of looks like what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And this is just one of those weird magical moments when it's, the, it's exactly the show we all wanted to make. And we didn't know how to make a podcast. Like yeah. we didn't know how to, to make a fictional podcast when we started. So we were teaching ourselves as we were going along and probably some of our naivete paid off. And just stuff that we just didn't even know if it was going to work. And then it did work. And it was even scarier than we thought it would be. Yeah. I
3: I mean, honestly, I think that's part of the magic of Video Palace. I remember vividly driving down rural Ohio in the middle of, you know, BFE. Oh, where in Ohio? Where, (laughs) where, where? where? I was uh, outside of Columbus. Um,
2: My my wife is from Dayton. So I've spent tons of time in Ohio. That's
3: where I was headed, actually. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was for a work trip, and I was listening to Video Palace. Nathaniel had recommended it, and, you know, there are these stretches of road in Ohio that just seemingly go on forever, right? It kind of feels like you're in a Stephen King novel sometimes. And I was listening to Video Palace, and I just kind of got into my head, and I started thinking, like, is this real? Is this a real story? Do I need to, like, (laughs) look up the lore? It kind of had, you know, this authentic genuineness to it that you just don't have very often anymore um a a previous horror podcast that i really enjoy was the black tapes Mm -hmm. and and that was really good until it wasn't right (laughs) and (laughs) and it was refreshing to have that kind of suspense and mystery and horror in video palace and then it just you guys just let it breathe it wasn't doing anything that it didn't need to do uh, i could rave about Video Palace
2: all night long. So, oh, Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, Maybe in a sense, it's better that we don't have a second season because it just gives us a chance to fuck it all up. (laughs) Yeah,
3: there we go, there we go. (laughs) But anyway, I apologize for sidetracking the introductions. I just am obsessed with Video Palace. I think I'm on my sixth listen now. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, we have a problem.
1: It's 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 unhealthy at this point. But you know, I I would
2: love to tell you where we would like to take the story. Actually, can I tell you one thing that we talked about? Yes. Duh. (laughs) <laughs> so Randy this is the thing that 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 I was the most excited about and I don't know if I don't know if it would ever happen but the Randy Wayne character part of his backstory is that he was in like a black metal band in the in the uh late 70s early 80s I think and uh and and we wanted to create like an ep of his music from oh, like hell yeah. that, that that had like weird uh you know weird symbolism and stuff that related to the stack and you know all all the all the other uh, mythology in it you know like and and you know cuz there are all these all these uh musicians around that time making supposed occult music and we kind of right. wanted to in- interview I don't know if we could even get it but like if we could interview you know I, I, somebody from Kiss or something like that or or it doesn't even need to be uh, that big of a band but like somebody was like yeah we were like pretending to be all into demons and that this guy <laughs> creeped me out cuz he was really <laughs> into some of that stuff
1: yeah judas priest or something
2: yeah i mean i'm sure we could probably get somebody uh but anyway that was like the idea that i was most excited about like oh man wouldn't it be cool to make like a metal ep from like the late 70s early 80s like make it sound as authentic as possible and fill it with occult clues well and then you're playing on the whole like videotape thing right it's not a videotape it could be a cassette tape yeah, Mike, Mike Manello and Nick Bracchia uh, kind of dubbed it uh, a thing they call media horror, which is you know distinct from body horror or whatever. But things like The Ring or Videodrome kind of fall into this category where it's uh, it, it's about someone's obsession with a kind of media. So it it could be anything. It could be videotapes. It could be audio tapes. Uh, you know, and, I mean, and that kind of played into the the book that Mike and Nick put together uh, in search of the eyeless man. Because all the stories are stories in one way or another of media horror. Uh, speaking of
1: that, uh, that that was at least uh, another uh, nice taste of some video palace. You know, getting the book was an uh, unexpected treat. But you know, I immediately pre-ordered it. Oh, nice! And yeah, I have really uh, enjoyed you know my my read through of it and, and how uh, eclectic the voices are and and kind of how you know, a lot of writers got to play in, uh, in that Video Palace space. What, what was it like, you know, kind of being asked to, to write stories for,
0: for the thing that you'd already created? I mean, it was a really cool opportunity because I I mean, also we were working in a new medium, so working in fiction, which, you know, Ben and I have not had a lot of experience at. So that was fun right off the bat. And they, they, they were really specific that they didn't want too much stuff in present day and they kind of want to avoid it of of you know avoid the big obvious cities like LA and New York and i think it forced Ben and i to kind of dig into kind of real stuff from our past and so mine is set in kind of an unnamed florida town you know and, and mine too <laughs> yeah and like we're in mines you know a young you know film horror film loving student is trying to make a movie uh because he's you know got a crush on a girl and like that's all true and uh a lot of some of the creepy stuff from in that uh um is stuff that i kind of pulled from reality and and it was so it was fun to and and the the coolest thing about it because they also like my story delves a little bit closer to actually video palace lore than some of the other stories because mike and nick kind of saw the story leaning that way and they kind of gave me the thumbs up so mine is You know, if, if you, you know, it's not exactly the origin of the white tapes, but there's definitely some, uh, some origin material. There's definitely some, some, some lore there that's, you could kind of interpret, you know, interpret from that. And, uh, and that was just, it was, and it's fun because it doesn't, it's not like it has to be absolute canon that lines up with everything else because there's three giant movies that some corporation has made and you got to make sure it fits. It's like, we're telling, we're telling legendary stories. And all these various corners and when you line them all up they, they 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 amassed to something bigger and scarier than you know what our budget would allow and i don't know i i loved i loved what they were going for with it and what we were able to do and i hope we can do more
1: yeah i i mean along those lines i i love that that very much um like personal folklore element to it you know yeah it seemed like a lot of the writer's Know, put a little bit of their own you know lives into it and, and you know, got to tell these weird you know kind of one-off stories from from their lives but with a, a nice uh fictional spin on it that that you know related to the eyeless man or to mm-hmm. other weird creepy you know media horror things it was it was really cool to see it one one of the the things I honestly could have spent way too much time in college studying was folklore you know the the couple of folklore classes i took kind of absorbed me in ways that uh was honestly not helpful for for me for my degree necessarily but uh you know i just wanted to dive into that world and so it was like getting another taste of that kind of feeling like yeah i love that that personal story kind of folklore quality.
3: Yeah, Nathaniel, I, I, I would agree. I, I mean, you know I've been obsessed with mythology and lore and folklore since I can even remember. And again, I think it comes back to the authenticity of Video Palace. There was just it felt it was a part of the world. It wasn't some made-up like you said, three-movie franchise where, you know, you got the troll fans nitpicking everything apart. It, it just breathed. It,
0: it was great. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, Nick Nick and Mike did a lot of work kind of building out the lore and the mythology of it, but then they gave Ben and I a lot of freedom to, to build the show and build, you know, the story. And, and Ben was very much, Ben really wanted it to be, wanted it to feel like it was actually a podcast that somebody could have made with all the limitations that come with that. And so by putting that parameter, like putting some fencing around our creativity it forced us to get really creative, and I mean, it's the first time I've ever done something like that. So, being yeah. being asked to play was awesome.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, like what we were trying to do was make it feel like it was. I, I mean, like Serial. What really the season one of Serial was was kind of uh, a north star. As was there was another uh, podcast called In the Dark uh, that was kind of similar to Serial and. You know, every week to week, you'd be like, what the fuck is Sarah Kane getting herself into? Holy shit. (laughs) You know, and and that's kind of the feeling that we wanted. So if you listen to it and just kind of assume a week has elapsed between each episode. So each episode, Mark Cambria went out, had some horrible misadventure that got him deeper in the shit, uh, but recorded it, went home, edited it, recorded voiceover for it (laughs) Added music to it and put it out, but but he really did all those things, you know. And how long would that take? You know, could it be done in a week? I I, I it definitely can, and that's even why we set him up as someone who had been an editor. Well, and it, it's cool too to see,
3: you know, you had the serial, and then Video Palace comes out, and at the time I remember like, oh, this is cool, this is fun, this is like a new, like I mentioned, a subgenre, and now you see things kind of taking that inspiration. There, there's so much of it now. You know, we have yeah. American Vandal, which is, again, kind of this mockumentary on the serial show. Uh, you have, I just watched a film the other night called Deadstream or Deathstream, which again Dead is... Stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I haven't kind, seen it, but I know about it. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a ride. It, and again, it's kind of the streamer and kind of this intersection of social media meets horror storytelling. And, and I think you guys really were,
2: were on the cusp of this big kind of break. In some extent. Cool. And, it, and in a way, it felt like, you know, kind of old home week because I was working with Mike Manello, who I went to film school with yeah. and uh, and and did Blair Witch with. So we were kind of playing in a, you know, the similar a similar playground that we had been that we had done in you know the late 90s. And in this case, you know, because both of us, neither one of us wrote or directed Blair Witch. But we learned a lot and and kind of saw how, how the mechanics worked. And it was like we can take all those lessons and kind of spin them into a new story. Um, and it's sort of why I'm bummed out that we haven't gotten to do a second season. There's a million reasons I'm bummed out we haven't gotten to do a second season. But like I really feel like we just touched on the tip of the iceberg of the mythology in the first season. And there are so many cool ways to open it up. And we had a lot of ideas about how to do that, but you know, may- maybe one day and if not, maybe we'll uh, recycle some of those ideas into a new idea. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe the new idea will be called Pidio Valis.
3: Pidio Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Segwaying though, a little bit here and it'll be I, called <laughs> haunted red box. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> not um, blockbuster. <laughs> tell us a little bit though, about kind of the process for catcher and, and as detailed as you can be, like kind of where the differences are and maybe where some of the inspiration came. I, I was able to listen to the first 20 minutes or so, and it, it definitely feels very different
2: from what we heard in Video Palace. Oh, it's totally different. Well, uh, when we were first contacted by Audible to, to uh, possibly create a new thing for them, one of the things they said is they don't want to do a first-person you know, investigative documentary kind of a thing. Like exactly, exactly the thing that brought us in the door. They didn't want to to do another thing like that. So, you know, Bob and I, you know, I mean, Bob and I both come from film and TV um, and uh, they wanted us to pitch them some ideas. And uh, everybody who does this has like a file of ideas that they, you know, have, of, of ideas that you're like, eh, maybe this will work here. Maybe this will work there. And I'd had an incident uh, several years ago where, I, I'd, I was biking and I came across a dog that was hanging out by a parking lot, by a, a sidewalk. And, and it was a stray dog. It looked like a friendly enough dog. I, d- I approached it, I didn't touch it, I didn't get too close, but it didn't growl, it didn't snap. I kind of kept my distance. And I uh, didn't know what to do, but I called animal control. And, I'm, and I sat there with this dog, the dog was laying on the sidewalk. And I sat there with this dog for like an hour. Uh, people are coming and going out of the parking lot, opening car doors, leaving, the dog isn't moving. Animal control guy shows up in a van, just a normal van that's got animal control stuff in it. Opens the door, the dog just takes off running into the woods. And uh and I said like, "Are you going to chase it?" And he was like, "Be my guest." And uh <laughs> and I kind of just thought about that guy and uh uh and like, "What if that guy was up against something truly horrible, truly supernatural. And then the idea kind of morphed to be like, what if it was two people? I'll w- this organ on its head.
3: <coughs> <sighs> I think these are nostrils. Maybe it relies on smell more than other senses.
2: And it's teeth are like are like needles. Yeah, maybe when it bites its prey, it injects them with some sort of paralytic, like what happened to Ted and the goats.
3: Um... Did either of you see that? <sighs> see what? I think it just took a breath. No. Yeah. That's just...
2: I went home that day and I actually uh, like pounded out a little monologue from this character when I was just kind of kicking the idea around. And, uh, and a version of that monologue made it into the final show when he's talking about how you're going to get bit and you're going to have to get all these shots directly into your gut and all that stuff. Like him just complaining about his life and how you know cops get greeted hey hello officer not us you know we're you know we're just the lowly dog catcher and and the idea of having somebody who like i mean like it's almost a cliche when you say so and so couldn't be elected dog catcher in this town you know it's like we hold them in low regard and and don't give them that many resources and so like what if they were the heroes you needed today and uh i threw that idea out to bob and he and he liked it and we pitched it to them and and, and they dug it. And so, uh, you know, we were kind of off to the races.
0: And it's interesting because we were, we pitched, I mean, they bought basically a, a sentence. And then they, they paid us a small amount of money to kind of develop a pitch document and write a sample chapter. And so that forced Ben and I to kind of dig in and figure out, like, what's the idea? Yeah. You know, and what's the story? And we came up, like, Ben was really inspired by kind of the, the mentor-mentee relationships and, like, Repo Man And I'm a huge fan of Tremors. We both are. And so, you know, we kind of came up with this idea of like this about-to-retire crusty old dog catcher, Collins. And he just has to replace, train his replacement, who's this young young woman. She's a young vet student, very idealistic, hates mansplaining. So obviously these two do not get along. They just have one more call. They can get through that, and then he can retire and she can take over. And the call is out at this remote family farm where supposedly there's a wild animal attack. They get out there. It's not a wild animal. It's a pack of monsters. And now they, these two that, that don't get along at all have to team up to protect this family from God knows what it is. And that was the idea that we pitched to them and kind of, it's, you're right, it's totally different than Video Palace. And we pitched it to them. We wrote a sample chapter. They're like, we love it. We love this. You know, Go make it. And we're like, "You know, go write it at least. And we're like, great. Let's do that. And then that forced Ben and I to figure out how to make this kind of show. Because like Video Palace was like sort of like the fake documentary style investigative podcast that we both were super familiar with that genre. Now we were doing essentially a monster movie for the ears. Again, we were thrust into it, not really knowing how to do it. So we had to start from scratch and just start breaking story and talking about characters and figuring out how to do a monster Show where you will never actually see the monster, you will only hear it, and that created a bunch of very interesting challenges
1: yeah, and having uh personally listened to a, a fair number of these uh, audible dramas, specifically a lot of the alien ones um, what what I'm liking about catchers is that yeah you, you are up against kind of a harder challenge you know the the stories that a lot of these you know uh, writers have done with uh, like alien universe and things like that, though really interesting, and they're doing really cool things with it. You know, we we know what that monster looks like. We we've seen it. You know, we we already have a good feel for it. But now, you know, but you guys had to to create it, kind of add a whole cloth and and create it in a way that yeah you know, we could experience it and be afraid of it. Uh, in you know in only audio format, which I'm I'm really digging. Um, you know, yeah, because it's it isn't the same kind of horror at all, uh, but it is, you know, thrilling and it has great characters and great writing and and all of that. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying the hell out. Oh, cool, awesome.
3: thank you. Well, and I think it's a really clever idea to take a profession that we know so very little about, right? Like, I don't know fuck about what it means to be a dog catcher. I don't care to know what it means to be a dog <laughs> catcher. And so, getting that kind of perspective and putting myself in that position and kind of hearing about the grungy kind of aspects of this job and then throw in the supernatural it's just it's fun and it's refreshing i'm not an exorcist i'm not some priest i'm not some family in suburbia whose kids have signs of alien abduction you know it's it's different and it's marginalized enough that it feels familiar but foreign at the same time if that makes sense Mm-hmm. And again, I've only yeah. listened to the 21st minutes and you guys have got me hooked again. So
0: thank
2: you. Okay. <laughs> oh, cool.
0: Well, like, like I don't even remember the jobs that Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward had in Tremors. Like Ben, do you remember their career? Yeah, like
2: Handyman or something. <laughs> like that's
0: the thing. It's like they were unlikely heroes. And I, I think unlikely heroes is a really cool place to go. And if you're doing a monster show or, you know, it's like. I'm I'm glad that y'all connected with it in that way. Cause yeah, we wanted, I, I just think we were, when Ben pitched me the idea of dog catchers, it's like, yeah, I've never seen, I've never seen those sort of unlikely heroes being, and we, and we, we, we delve into their characters in the show. Cause you know, where they're just like, this isn't a way above my pay grade. But there's nobody else even remotely qualified nearby. They have to step up and become heroes, and I think that's that's part of the fun of the show for sure.
3: Yeah, it's that it's that forced heroism, right? That yeah. everyone
0: I think desperately longs for, but
2: no one really yep. wants at the end of the day.
3: And so <laughs> well, it, to relate, As you go
2: through the show too. You'll see like the Collins character played by Billy Gardell never stops complaining about how he has no desire to be a hero. Like, (laughs) like to the bitter end, he never wants to, he never wants to be in charge. He never wants to save anybody. He just wants to get everybody out and get everyone safe. The easiest, simplest way as possible. And he kind of says it in the first episode, like his, his mission in life is to just show that he tried.
3: Uh, Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's just been. excuse me really enjoyable so far i'm excited to listen to more and we'll have to have you on once we both finally get through it all oh we'll do it
0: yep have us back
3: uh it does bring the question up though you know video palace and of course this is is definitely different what what scares you to what really kind of gets under your skin because we we were talking a little bit about you know the the heavy metal rock stuff and how the demon and the occult like that's my jam I, yeah. I I love that stuff, but I know other people who are deeply terrified of demon movies. Of course, but when it it comes to torture porn, you know I I don't care for that at all. So what? Yeah, me either. What inspires you guys? Due to your fear, right? Like, where where do you pull your inspiration from from a fear standpoint?
2: Well, I have watched every horror movie ever made, and nothing is more terrifying than trimming a toddler's fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> Or a, cat, or a cat damn it yeah uh, yeah but like when you hurt your cat it scratches you when you hurt your toddler or when you when you hurt your baby he just looks up at you and cries like why would you do that to me and you're like oh you're gonna be sitting on a therapist couch in yeah years talking about this <laughs> you're gonna have a feelings chat in 30 years oh my god uh yeah, I mean, y- you know, I-, I almost have a theory that every movie is secretly a horror movie. I don't care if you're talking about When Harry Met Sally. Like, the horror is the thing that kind of propels, you know, propels it. Actually, somebody asked me recently, what's the difference between a horror movie and a thriller movie? And I'm like, well, uh, 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 a horror movie or a thriller movie could be supernatural. But in a horror movie, the the threat is inexplicable. And uh, it, it just has to be inexplicable to the lead character, to your hero, whoever, it's, whoever you're with, which is why I would say Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie, because I think Buffalo Bill is inexplicable to all of those people. Nobody could imagine. Everyone could imagine Hannibal Lecter. Nobody could imagine Buffalo Bill. He's so, such a freak and a weirdo. And, and what he's doing is just so beyond what anyone else uh does and uh, you know thank in, you in this case <laughs> I, I, I i like when people say science of the lamps is a thriller it's like it's not that it's not a thriller it's that it it's, it's definitely more than a thriller to me you know yeah, movies awesome. can be more than one thing right of course of course Yeah. um you know like what like movies that scare me it's like god it's it's so rare that i'm like scared by a movie but like when i feel real empathy for somebody like, uh, let the right one in is you know probably one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years. Or, or, uh, Bob and I actually went to a, a cemetery screening of uh John Carpenter's The Thing a couple weeks ago. Oh, hell yeah! Yeah, mm-hmm. and like that movie, I mean, that movie still works so well as just a piece of amazing suspense fiction, and you believe those characters, and so you're afraid for them. Uh, and I don't care how many times I see that movie, you know, it, it, it really does always kind of catch me. like at this point, I've seen it so many times that I can just sit back and kind of observe the story mechanics going on and, and appreciate them. But the first time I saw that movie, it was the mo- I mean I was a little kid when I saw it. It was the most horrifying thing I had ever seen. and i would yeah. i would also say that to me it's kind of our true north we we talk i don't know if bob talks about it as much as i do but we talk about the thing a lot and you know a story like catchers uh in in its dna is is the inspiration on my side anyway that i've taken from from john carpenter movies where especially like that sweet spot of john carpenter movies from the mid 70s to the uh like i'd say early 90s where you've got characters who are in terrible, horrible situations, but are and they're they're not wise all the time necessarily, so although sometimes they are talking about chewing bubble gum and kicking ass but uh <laughs> but they are human beings who acknowledge the irony of their situation, and that's one of the also just one of the great things about the thing is that everything that somebody says in that movie, I can imagine myself saying if I were in a situation like that,
0: yeah, I mean. For me it's it's like I mean, I look at it as the stuff that I think is scariest is the stuff that that is out of our control. And so you look at life like, you know, stuff that's out of our control. It's just the stuff that's just big world stuff right now, like climate change and our political craziness right now and and kind of the capitalism run amok. That all that stuff just feels so giant and so big and so outside of our you know control and then you look at a movie and you know at least at least in the thing you can try to figure out what you're dealing with there's an, uh, there's certain clues there's some science you can do but i think what makes the thing so horrifying is that really not all the science in the world is going to help you because this thing its will to survive is 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 greater than ours and there's just no way to understand that or to overcome that You know, I think, I think, you know, Video Palace is probably scarier than Catchers because Video Palace deals with some stuff that's unexplainable. And there's, you know, we purposely left some things unanswered that we may have known the answers to uh, because we think it's scarier that way. And Catchers, I think, is no less entertaining. I think it's super fun. But in the end, like there are monsters and catchers and they're strange and inexplicable, but. You know, we spend a couple hours with our characters who work very hard to try to figure out what yeah. they're up against. And I think there's something really satisfying with that kind of horror, which is, I think, a more of a fun sort of horror. Where, like, if you can just survive long enough, you can, you can put the pieces of the puzzle together and figure out how to stop the monster.
2: Yeah, it's true.
0: So that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of how I feel. And, like, and, and the thing that's why Catchers is such a different show than Video Palace. But hopefully, you know, it's still coming from the same place as being super entertaining with, you know, characters we care about in the shit, you know, just different kinds of shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, one
1: one of the things I, I'll have to say, you know, about Catchers so far in, in my listen is that I really like how you, even even though, you know, it's not coming from that, you know, kind of uh investigative podcast uh format you know you're still kind of playing with a lot of like real world um you know kind of things that would be recorded right you know the the 911 tape yeah um the you know logs between uh the police or the um dog catchers and the the dispatch all of that like it it makes it feel very lived in and um, you know, kind of breaks down some of the uh, kind of natural um, barriers that we put between ourselves and fiction. Like, uh, to me, like, that's what, you know, they found footage and, and any other uh, type of horror of its ilk, um, you know, wh- why I, I, I find it so appealing is that, you know, horror, it's so easy to, to kind of just separate it from ourselves, you know. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, I can see that the monster's a, a dude in a suit. Yeah. But in this case, you know, having that very kind of real world relatable stuff, both with this and with Video Palace and with, you know, a lot of other, you know, things that, that y'all have done, um, you know, that's, I think, what, you know, really draws me in as an audience member and, and why I love this kind of thing so much is because yeah like it it's it's one step closer to my lived experience, and so it feels that much more real and like you know yeah like i I can engage with it more like like Max said with uh the, the drive uh you know while well, listening to video palace you know it's it's easy to you know kind of start going, wait like can I look up this lore and and see like <laughs> you know oh is this a a real thing that's going on is this a you know are, are these white tapes really a, a thing that people are collecting or, you know, whatever it is, because it, it does just feel so much more connected to reality. I,
2: I, if I can say one of the most satisfying things about working in the capacity that I worked on the Blair Witch Project was getting into arguments with people about, oh, no, the Blair Witch is real. And I'm like, I made it up, dude. I mean, like I, I, I named that character and, and people wouldn't, wouldn't listen. It's like, OK, believe it. Please believe it. I'm happy you believe it.
0: Yeah, and and I'll I'll say too, like like in, in reference to what you were saying about the road trip, there's something really interesting about audio where it's you're you're taking in a story through one sense, your ears, and and that's it's weirdly intimate. Yeah, and like people get really hooked into it, and like true crime podcasts are just nuts. And like you know, my wife's a murderino, and she loves you know she loves that stuff. So like, there's something about it that gets really really personal with the listener. And so, like, Ben and I, we've done two shows now. We've worked on a third one. We can talk about that at the end if you want, briefly. Um, yes, But, please. like, um, it's, it's like we're still figuring out how to play with this medium, but the potential for it is, is really cool because, I agree. you know, it's, it's, it is super intimate and it can really get into your skin. And so my, a lot of people have told me that they, they, they tried Video Palace on a road trip and just listened to the whole thing straight through three hours. And that nothing makes me happier because I, I honestly think that's probably the best way to engage with it is just to, just to have nothing to do but drive and listen and let it into your skull, and so well, and like I I, go ahead. I I think the audio
3: component of it. You know, I I study neuroscience. That's what my degree is in. Oh okay. wow! And so your you know your auditory nerves are very closely connected to you know regions of your brain that focus with memory and. And a lot of kind of trauma aspects of it. So for me on this road trip, I'm listening, but my eyes are processing other information. And so I'm starting to, you know, kind of associate what I'm seeing with the supernatural that I'm hearing. And even <laughs> the the mundane of the supernatural starts to elicit these weird memories of like, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. This one time I saw a shadow out of the corner of my eye. And now I'm listening to this crazy story. and are they related and (laughs) you know the idea of an earworm is very apropos because it it kind of gets into your brain and digs up a lot of these old memories and you you start to associate what you're actually seeing in the moment with what you're hearing Uh, and it's kind of twisted in a fun way i think i think that's why radio and podcasts are are so popular
0: yeah
1: and 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 you know especially when you happen to see an eyeless man just you know yeah. ambling down the street right and- yeah and you're just
3: like what's up guy <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah see I just made the stupid decision of listening to it while doing a night security job at a hotel oh yeah Oh, jeez yeah oh, I remember yeah, that, that
3: Nathaniel was- that was great yeah
1: <laughs> yeah we 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 both uh, worked that job for a while and um, yeah we we would just try to recommend you know. A, increasingly horrifying things to each other just to really <laughs> you know have us at the
0: end of our nerves the whole time but good times <laughs> well I, th- I think one of the one of the, th- the things that ben and i do whenever we're going to do a show like this is we sit down and we get we just lay out our parameters like what are the what are the storytelling tools we're going to use to tell a story in audio and and i've listened to we've both listened to some big budget shows that we weren't exactly successful. And I think it's because people kind of break their own rules right off the bat. And I think there's something about when you stick to your rules and you tell your audience, I'm going to tell you a story and here's the tools I'm going to use and I'm not going to cheat. And so like in Video Palace, there was various audio tools he used, but we made sure that he would just never be recording something that he wouldn't realistically want to record. So. You know, that, that forced our hand in a lot of ways, but helped us be creative. And I think catchers, we had to do the same thing. So you mentioned the 911 calls and all those sorts of, you know, found footage-y type artifacts in a story that's not found footage mixed with first-person storytelling of our lead character, Blair, who survived this terrible night and is telling her story to an investigative agent. That's kind of our wraparound device. And then whenever we flash back to, you know, the, the catcher's story to what happened that night, it's only from her point of view, you know? So it's very literary that way. So like, I don't know if anybody cares, but I think it helps when like the way that Ben and I, we, we try to create those parameters and try to stick to them. And, and hopefully the audience, it helps the audience trust us and kind of go along for the ride metaphorically and i guess realistically if you're listening to this in a car i,
2: I also feel like uh mixing up the sources so having the police radio yeah. or the 911 call like it just makes you lean in because if it if you're literally just in the world of uh of audio uh, of if you're just in one world of audio fiction i feel like it's sometimes it's hard to keep your attention focused on it uh, all that long so you know, the scenes are about the length of a movie scene for the most part. I mean, there's, there's some that go on there like in, in episodes, uh, you know, three and four, especially there's some pretty long sequences where there's like, there's like a siege, um, you know, with the monsters, but, um, y- y- by, sh- by, by changing that source, the audio source up, it just kind of reminds the, the listener that they have to keep paying attention without being uh, annoying, without making them have to do it themselves if that makes sense. Like it, it just like it's like in, in a movie, like when you even just editing, when you cut to a new scene, you cut to a wide shot or you cut to a super close up, it makes the audience member go, like, what does this have to do with it? And and changing up those sources helps a lot. In Video Palace, it was like a very organic part of the process because that's how those shows are put together. That's how something like Serial or in the dark is done. Um you know with this, we put in a we put in that stuff where it made sense to put it in. And then also having the wraparound story, which originally was going to sound more like it was recorded on, you know, like on a on a tape recorder. And when we did it, it 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 just became confusing and made people ask too many questions. So we we cut it and let that just be part of the clean sound world anyway. But uh uh, but but I think it's important when you're doing that stuff to be thinking about that audience experience of like what's gonna what's gonna keep me engaged and what's gonna like what how are we gonna dribble out new evidence and and new stuff and if you can kind of kind find a cool funky ways to do that uh i just think it it keeps people more engaged like in video palace the thurman mueller uh answering machine message from from whatever Mm. 20 years ago you know it's like we could have given that information some other way but that was like an interesting way to hear it yeah so and go ahead nathaniel
1: uh well yeah and and along those lines uh, something that I appreciate you know that uh y'all did uh you know from a, a direction standpoint I I know you you mentioned this in our previous uh, episode with you Ben you know that that you were having the actors you know lay down when the characters are laying down yeah. and things like that like that that adds a lot of like like a lot more authenticity to to these moments of audio and, and you know their performances and stuff even though it's just like little things like that I think also adds a lot of weight, you know? So it's not just, you know, someone just standing in a booth, breathing heavily, if they're yeah. pretending like they're running, like, you know, if, if they're actually moving around a little bit more, things like that, it really comes across so much better. And I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, listen.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's something we tried to do in catchers now, you know, catchers was recorded entirely during the pandemic. Um, and so we weren't able to have multiple people in the same room. And in fact, like I've never been in the same room with most of our cast, um which is super weird, like it was all all directed over zoom, but even in the studios that we did it in um we always uh uh tried to have sort of a standing mode and a sitting mode for the actors so they could at least walk in place, run in place, they could stand, they could sit uh in uh the case of one of the actors, I did have them lay down <laughs> i and and the studio wasn't happy about it, it was a pain in their ass but um but we, we had an actor uh, actually lay down because a- he gets attacked by one of the creatures and is laying down for the rest of his story.
0: Do I, does everybody hear a barking dog? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's what happens when somebody turns around in my driveway. It's Armageddon over oh, here. Oh, it's
2: your dog, Bob.
0: It's, yeah, no, it is. I have a dog now.
2: I have my barkless dog literally at my feet. Like, I've, yeah. heard, I've heard him bark under 20 times.
0: <laughs> um, Sophie.
3: Uh, I did want to ask, and maybe you guys have kind of touched on this a little bit with the discussion about boundaries, uh, but I think Nathaniel and I like to, to think ourselves storytellers as well. Uh, you know, he's definitely more the author. I love D&D and, and do my own thing there. Uh, but What advice would you give to people kind of coming into this genre as authors, as writers, as storytellers, to help them be successful? I know, I know you guys kind of talked about you know, kind of waiting for that moment that came and then talked about boundaries as well. But, but what would you tell our listeners if they are looking for advice on how to storytell?
2: I mean, uh, I'm sure Bob has, has a lot of thoughts about this and he's a, you know, much more accomplished writer than I am. Um, But I feel like it, it, you have to kind of be ready, fire, aim about it, whatever it is, just start doing it. And, you know filmmaking has become like exponentially less expensive to to do and to do well over the last you know 10 15 years but i keep talking to people about audio you know now that bob and i have done uh, Video Palace and Catchers and we have like as bob said we have one other thing that we can actually talk about which we didn't make it but we co-wrote it um and uh, you know you realize that like like for instance on a film uh on like a feature film if you're doing you know you're probably doing no more than 5 pages uh, filming 5 pages a day TV series you might be doing 6 to 8 pages a day in audio it's not even hard to do 45 pages a day um and so it it's it's very very freeing and when we were getting ready to do this I talked to a guy who I've known a long time D Bradley Baker who's a huge voice actor and i was just kind of cuz we had a monster and i was just kind of like saying like how how do you recommend i record you know like what's he's done a lot of monster and creature voices and i was just trying to pump him for uh, advice and i found out you know d d who is you know he's a regular on family guy or constantly on family guy he was on uh, what was that um star wars thing lower decks or something um he's star trek, lower decks. Star trek. sorry oops i'm a- i just made a lot of people very angry Um, uh, he's one of the main voices on that. Like he's a huge voice actor, uh, D the microphone D uses in his home studio, which is where he records everything is a $250 microphone. So, uh, and you know, you can get a more expensive one. You can get a cheaper one. You can make it work, but it's not. The, the technology, as, as you guys know from doing a podcast, at least, the technology for recording audio, not that hard. You could get uh, a $200 a year subscription to something like Artlist.io or uh, Premium Beat. You know, There's a few of them, Shutterstock. And they have sound effects and they have music. So, uh, I mean, as much as I like to work with an original composer it would be great if if you're if you're if you have an idea that you could get a couple actors to do you could write the script you you could uh record so much of it so quickly and there's not like a right or a wrong way to do it you know the way we did video palace was uh came out of uh, came out of our (laughs) our lack of experience doing that kind of a thing but honestly when it was proposed to me, no, we should have everybody in isolation booths and have clean tracks from everybody. And I said, no, I want them to be in the same room. I want to feel that their presence in, with each other. And, uh, and that's how we did it. And it worked for the show. On Catchers, the thing I had to dig my heels in about was because, because of COVID, we couldn't do it that way. But we could have simultaneous recordings via Zoom. So, you know, it's like, if I have to record you, if I have to record Billy Gardell and Horizon Guardiola, I have to have a studio for each one of them, or I can have two studios at the same time, both plugged into Zoom, and they can perform off of each other. And you can get, you know, more organic performances. Well, we're all used to using Zoom at this point. And uh, and so I feel like if you have an idea that could lend itself in any universe to audio, explore it because, you know, again, as, as you guys know, too, you can get uh, like a liberated syndication account for six bucks a month and you could release your podcast and anyone in the world could download it off of iTunes or wherever they get podcasts. It's such an accessible format and such an accessible form. And you could go out there and take an idea. And uh, again, ready, fire, aim, start recording, try it out, you know, change it up. And on those art lists and all those things, they don't just have music. They also have sound effects uh, or you could record your own sound effects. You know, it, it's, it's such an accessible and exciting thing to do. Uh, I, I want to hear more people do it myself.
0: And I mean, for me, for my advice, like I, I've written movies, television, audio, theater, fiction, I've worked in so many different mediums and I'm good at some of them and not so good at other ones. And, and my advice kind of lays kind of. Kind of, you know, leans right up against Ben's advice, which is, is figure out no matter what medium you want to work in, also work in a medium that you can get your stuff in front of an audience. Yeah. Whether that means you do a short film that's playing at a festival or a web series that plays at a web festival or, or a, you know, a podcast or a play. Theater is so good for that. Do stuff that gets in front of an audience because that's how you build your taste. That's how you start to realize if you, if you write something that you think is scary and you make it and you put it in front of an audience and they're not scared you know that's how you learn you know or you write a comedy or you write something that you sure is a laugh and your audience doesn't laugh that's how you learn to be a better writer is by putting stuff in front of an audience and seeing what works and what doesn't because so many people just write stuff on the page and then that kind of puts you in a cave and you just don't know what if you're writing if your stuff's Good or not. You know if it works on the page, but you don't know if it works in the execution. Yeah. And I think when you're working in a cave, you fall in love with your words and you don't want to change anything. Whereas when you make stuff, it forces you to collaborate. It forces you to find people who are like-minded, who wanna make cool stuff, and you make stuff together, and then it forces you to, to get out there and to make mistakes and and to learn. And so, like, you know, Ben and I have been, we've had solo careers for 20 years. But now we've been working together in one way or another for, I don't know, probably 15 years. And we've built an aesthetic. We've built a voice. You know, we can do straight-up comedies or we can do straight-up horror. And there's still some of this aesthetic that we've built together. But that's practice. That's just yeah. years and years of trying. So, like, you know. And, and,
2: and occasionally, like, really falling on our faces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But but if you're yes.
2: doing something like uh, like theater or uh, or audio, whatever, you know, like if you're making a movie, you know, and you're having to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, it's like you you're you're expecting to hit a bullet with a bullet. Like you're expecting to, like, execute this idea to the greatest extent that it can be executed so that it will reach a general audience and people will like it and it will make money. But if you're like the late night theater shit that Bob and I used to do a lot, and I would do again if it were still happening, um, uh, was fun because it was a high wire act and you, and failure was an option. You could you could fall on your face. and But the good thing about that was you would sometimes say like, I'm going to take a weird risk here. Um, I, I remember there was, uh, it's super gross, so I won't necessarily get into it. But there was a piece that Bob wrote where we had something that was kind of gross happening on stage and in rehearsal I decided to take it like way up a notch. Like way, way, way up through the roof. And uh and it uh it, it was a show called Serial Killers where where you get voted back by the audience to come back week to week. And the guy who was doing it was like, I'll Ben, I'll do it, but you know it's gonna this is gonna get us not voted back. And I was like, I don't think it I think we're total this is gonna people are gonna go crazy when this happens and we didn't get voted back.
0: And I, you know I've never seen an audience turn against our show so quickly, Ben. It was. <laughs> and I, I, I was watching the audience, and their faces went from elation to, I hate this. I hate this more than anything. And I was just looking across their faces until I got to Ben's face, who was at the very top up in the crow's nest. And Ben had the look of childlike glee yeah. that I will never forget. And the thing is, who cares? We died a flaming death in that show. Who cares? But, but Ben <laughs> took it all the way, and we died. And then Ben and I came back with a different show and had a ton of fun. So you know fail, fail where the stakes are not very high so that when the stakes are high you've got some experience and you've got the taste of failing kind of you're used yeah. to it i yeah. i've i've thought it would
2: i've always thought it'd be good in like film school or art school to like create a, an environment in which you were you had no choice but to fail so you could just Build a scar over that part of your soul, and and not and not be upset about failing and about taking criticism. Like those are two things that people are really lousy at, and and it's because they suck. And uh, you know, no one wants to take criticism. I want catchers to go out. Uh, to uh, I want I want I want the audience that hears catchers to just be elated and and overjoyed and and say nothing but positive things about it. But also, I, I, I'm a grown up, and I've been doing this for a minute, and uh, I know that there are going to be people who are going to hate it and they're going to say hateful things about it. And uh you know that i i it's taken me a long time to get to the point where like that it's not i'm not going to say it doesn't bother me because i'm i'm still a human being but it's like i'm not going to lose any sleep over that. Like i'm i'm bracing for that. I know it's going to happen. Hmm. With everything. And it happens to everyone on everything that is ever made. I don't care Yeah, You know, if you go look at, you know, whatever you think of as the most perfect movie ever made, if it's, you know, Star Wars or Blade Runner or whatever, like you'll find people who fucking hate those stories.
1: You know, I I, I can't uh, agree more with, you know, the learning to fail thing. Um, I just uh, don't go broke. Don't go broke failing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just as a, a high school creative writing teacher, you know i make my students do a, a writing prompt every day and read to each other and yeah sometimes it just bombs you know what what someone reads and i tell them good that's those those bad words are out of you now yeah like you know you need to to learn that skill or you're wasting your time
2: <laughs> i mean talk to any stand up comic every stand up comic uh you know spends you know a third of their time just bombing especially when they're first starting out and i feel like it, it it's it's part of the rite of passage but it's also just like getting used to that feeling and then not letting it ruin your day, you know, not letting, not, not letting it, not, not internalizing it and saying like, I'm a bad person or I'm a bad artist because you know, this group of people didn't like the thing that I did. You ca- you kind of have to just like, keep, keep on keeping on. You have, you ha- you have to keep going. But when you find a place like I, I, I wish that every uh, theater did this show that Bob and I worked on serial killers. I wish that anyone in any city could just go do this show um because it it was like instant and and r- truly instant feedback you know like they would put up five shows on a saturday night three would be voted back so you had you know an okay chance of getting voted back but if you weren't if if your show didn't connect you weren't coming back and if it was something if it was a story you really wanted to tell that you were done in this in this particular format but it, it, you know it uh it, it, it kind of gets those muscles nice and loose. And I and I do think that like, you know, in an audio thing, you could put something out. I mean, if you pay more money on some of these platforms, you get detailed analytics as to who's listening, how long they're listening, blah, blah, blah. And you can kind of see like, okay, what's what's connecting with the audience. And as a as a as a creator, you have to kind of ride that line between uh pandering to the audience as you perceive them and telling the story you want to tell. And it's it's a hard It's hard to find where those two Venn diagrams intersect because, you know, tell the story you want to tell with no respect for an audience and you're not going to get your story out there. No one's going to want to hear it or see it or, or, you know, consume it in any way. But of course, like bend over backwards, pandering to the audience and you're not going to make anything that you're going to feel really that happy about. So, you know, what is the audience for your stuff and, uh and, and, and finding that sweet spot. That's like some, something you like to tell or something you like to do that affects that affects enough of an audience to keep you, uh, keep you going, keep you alive or at least keep you engaged with the work. I mean, there's some people out there who don't care about the audience. They're doing it for themselves and you know, uh, God bless them. I can't do that. That's, you know, like I, I want to reach an audience. That's, that's why I'm doing this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I want to hear more about this
0: uh, other project that that y'all alluding to. It, uh, it's just a small little something. I, it was kind of a fun bonus that happened when we were just at the tail end of post on catchers. Uh, we got recommended for a, a job. There's a, a a brand new horror anthology show on Wondery, which is another you know fantastic podcast platform, and so it's called I Hear Fear. And Ben and I were just brought on to co-write an episode and um, they, they already have, they have a great, a, a, a great team of, 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 writers and producers. And um, so we didn't actually make the show. We just got to co-write an episode and turned it over and they went off and hired actors and put it together. But, you know, Carrie Mulligan, Oscar nominated actress is hosting it and she's actually starring in our episode um and we just they they gave us kind of a, a neighborhood of a of a horror type story that they that they were interested in kind of involving uh a uh a, a, a horrific um uh happening on a movie set and uh ben and i went to town and wrote our butts off and that was a super fast process maybe from the time we got brought on to the time we uh um turned it down, it was maybe six weeks yeah um but it's about a 40 minute episode. And so again, we didn't produce this one, but it's an awesome team. Everybody was worked on it was incredible. And I, and uh, we haven't even heard our episode at this point. I haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so by the time, hopefully when this podcast is released, our episode will be out. I think it drops on Halloween. So we're super excited to hear it for the first time along with the rest of you. Um, but that's a fun little, a fun little bonus project we got to work on. And it's, you know, it's cool to work for Wondery. They're, they're a really good company
2: yeah yeah and and you know as uh audible was kind of a an elongated process Wondery was like uh it was run like a tv network it was like the you know we agreed to do it and three days later we had to have a an outline and you know every every round of it went like that it was it was uh i i appreciate that i like working on deadlines it helps me a lot actually
0: and again like this is a totally different the way the video palace and catchers are different this is a completely different style of storytelling with different parameters and tools. So it feels like every time that Ben and I get to work in audio, we get to work for a different company, figure out a new set of tools, figure out a new way to tell a story. It's kind of one of the best things about audio, especially right now, because there's so much, it's it's very new and so much stuff's getting made in that world that you can kind of, I don't know, you can kind of invent your own style and genre every time you're up at bat. There's
2: so much room for innovation in that space
0: hundred percent
1: okay well we we can probably move towards uh wrapping up unless there's any other final thoughts uh y'all had about uh catch
0: uh please go uh download it's on audible it's an audible original uh i don't know if it costs a credit or not it doesn't if you're not if you are Audible if
2: you are an audible subscriber it is free
0: yes so go please download it it's uh it's a little shorter than video palace i think it's about two hours and 20 minutes still good for a nice road trip
1: uh, download and um and enjoy hell yeah okay well um the the last thing that we like to do is just uh you know ask our uh guests and, and we like to share ourselves you know something that we have been doing you know whether that's you know a, a TV show book movie video game whatever that that you're engaging with uh, of how you're staying creepy any uh poor uh project that that you've been uh in enjoying or or watching or binging or anything like that um, wow. i I can go first to to give you guys a second to think um so I've been staying spooky by uh specifically i i, I uh started listening to an audiobook by Bentley little who is a horror author who um, I kept seeing coming up on, you know, like best of lists and Stoker awards lists and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I listened to a book of his called The Handyman. Mm. It is very creepy and uh, definitely going to be checking out a lot more little stuff. What's wants to go uh,
3: I'll take it from here. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I just watched Deadstream. Uh, this movie is bonkers. It's kind of all over the place in the best of ways. Uh, it's a, essentially a disgraced internet influencer, kind of very... You guys know the type, the stereotype, that just always is corny and, and on and extra, has his name disgraced, so he decides to do this kind of stay at this haunted villa, actually in Utah, which Nathaniel and I are from. And it it kind of is like evil dead meets gen z youtube influencer there's a lot of fun corny practical effects very campy it, it just oozes that kind of corny halloween that we all like i think um it's not a great movie but you don't care because you have a good time so <laughs> i would definitely recommend it it's a shutter original so oh, shout out to shutter
2: Shutter's the best
1: but they'd be even more the best if they would renew video palettes. Uh, like what?
0: Yeah, yeah. Spread the word. I know you are. Preach.
3: <laughs> you you mentioned that they were they were in cahoots with AMC, of course, and I I love that Nicole Kidman AMC intro. So maybe they're just obsessed with that too. No, and they just no uh,
2: AMC networks. Like uh, <laughs> ah, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, they're owned by AMC networks. So, uh, more better call Saul, less uh, Nicole Kidman, weird uh, guess. In- intro thing.
3: Well, we can have both, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, how about you, Ben? You got something creepy?
2: Uh, well, yeah, it's a little retro creepy. Um, Bob and I actually, in our theater exploits, both had a fun opportunity to work with Stuart Gordon, uh, who unfortunately passed away about, God, was it? It's about, it's coming up on two and a half, three years, I think. Um, but we, we got to work with him, and you know he famously made Reanimator. But i um, on Canopy, which is the uh, streaming service that's free with a library card. Uh, I I was just clicking around there, and and they had a bunch of Stuart Gordon uh, movies, and so I I was checking out Dolls, uh, which is so cool and such a a, a fun weird ass movie. And uh, but then I watched uh, From Beyond which was his H.P. Lovecraft follow-up to uh, Reanimator. And that movie, to me, is just unbelievably underrated. And uh, if you have a library card and you're listening to the sound of my voice and you get Canopy and watch From Beyond, it's just rip shit bonkers. It's such a, such a weird-ass movie. And in a lot of ways, even though it's you know several years after John Carpenter's The Thing, it's got practical effects that feel very much like that. Sold. And nice. and Jeffrey Combs and Bar- Barbara Crampton in the leads. Double soul. It's so good. And and foray. Oh my god, I could keep going. <laughs> uh it's it's uh and and it looks gorgeous. And uh, you know, like I knew Stuart, so like I'm truly upset that he passed away. But also I was before I knew him, I was a fan of his movies, and I wish we had fifty more Stuart Gordon movies. His movies are so specifically him like there nobody made movies like him and, and they're in just such an interesting uh, cinematic voice and I don't know that you know like we just we don't have a Stuart Gordon today so uh so check out the Stuart Gordon that we actually had and uh, definitely check out From Beyond
0: yeah and for me it's like I feel like I've been trying to catch up on horror movies I feel like I've been behind especially with movies coming out this year because there's so many good ones so I finally my wife and I just like on a weekday afternoon went out and caught a matinee of smile oh it's so good and it was us and two other people in the theater and it was a, you know and i was like okay you know, this made a bunch of money it's probably going to be dumb and that movie creeped my ass out oh it's
3: i see i was so bored in smile really?
0: yeah i don't know i don't know why it's it's one of the it's very it's primal and either you're you're just like eh but for some reason it got under my skin It got into that place where I was talking about before of just, like, if this had happened to me, I don't know what I would do. Mm -hmm. Like, it was such a – it was such – it put them in – it painted the the heroin in such a corner, and it just worked on me. And it's maybe – I don't know. That's probably one of the great things about horror, too, is, is the fact that it didn't work on you. But man, it just was some secret sauce that freaked my ass out. So. Yeah, well,
3: that's awesome.
2: I was into yeah. it. I, I I host a podcast where I interview cinematographers, and I was set to interview the DP of uh, Smile, and I had seen the trailer, and I and I think kind of like Bob, I just kind of had low expectations, and I went to see it after my son went to sleep, which is like an eighty percent chance that I will fall asleep while watching it, and. Uh, <laughs> And I was, I was actually blown away. I was really impressed with how, how well it, it held it. It, it, it was. And, and when I talked to the DP, like I thought the gimmick was brilliant. When I saw the trailer, I'm like, man, why, it was one of those, like, why didn't I think of that? That's so, that's so clever. And then when I asked the deep, when I said something to the DP about how, like, they don't overuse the gimmick. And he's like, well, it's because it wasn't called smile when we were making it. It was called like the trouble with. Oh yeah. Brenda right. or something. And, yeah. and so the smile is an idea that came from the studio and it's a great marketing angle, but it wasn't that it, the movie wasn't, wasn't so much about that. So I imagine if they make a smile too, they'll, they'll, they'll beat it into the ground. But, but smiles, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <there> we go. <laughs> smiles with the,
0: instead of an S there's a money, there's a dollar sign. <laughs> miles, miles
2: of smiles. There we
0: go.
3: Smiles with a Z. yeah my boyfriend really loved it too and i guess for me i just was like yeah i've seen all of the horror in the trailer the trailer showed me everything that i was supposed to be afraid of
2: and i i I, I wasn't ready for the cat scene that 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 made me laugh out loud
3: there were there were moments that were really really good but moments do not a horror movie make for me
2: so anyway
3: but i i was terrified during pearl and i've heard kind of the same thing with pearl that some people really resonated with that terror and others were bored.
2: Man. No. I, 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 I love Ty West. I haven't seen Pearl yet. I love yeah, X. No, I, I haven't either. X was fantastic.
0: Yeah. X.
3: brilliant movie. And Pearl takes yes. everything that X did well. And it's like three times as good. It, it was ah, that's great. so good. It's a love letter to, to horror fans. That's great. Uh,
2: I mean, everything Ty does is like that. And his, his career has just been amazing, but I actually feel like he stepped it up so much with X and Pearl. I I'm saying Pearl like I have seen it, but like, like what, what he, what he's doing with it. I interviewed, uh, Elliot rock at the, the DP he's, I think he's shot all of Ty's movies. And, uh, you know, like I, I was a big fan of house of the devil and then I'd seen his other stuff and, and I, I'm always interested in what he does and what he does always has a unique stamp on it. But I feel like X just stepped it up so hard. It was, it was, it really was like, Oh, this is the possibility you can do stuff like this. It it, it it was, sometimes I'll see something and I'm like, oh wait, I'm allowed to do something like that? Like you're allowed to use that weird editing pattern or yeah. you're allowed to hold on a shot that long or, you know, whatever. And it, it's it's just a brilliant piece of filmmaking.
3: Yeah, Pearl is kind of this weird dichotomy where it's a love letter to that early cinema, like Wizard of Oz, Casablanca kind of film, but then take that and make it horror. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's beautiful and creepy and
2: deranged and
3: oh best movie of the year so far is terms oh, of horror wow.
2: for me. Strong words. I yeah. gotta check it out.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I need to check it out.
1: Okay. Um well we we have definitely kept you long enough uh, in into your evenings. So where can people find you uh if they wanna, you know, shout praises uh, about catchers or you know whatever uh online.
2: I'll go. Uh, I'm I'm at benrock.com. You can find all my social media stuff on there. I'm on all the social media stuff that you would expect to find a Gen X person on. So not not TikTok, um, but uh, you'll find my, my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm at Neptune Salad on uh, Twitter, which is uh, I'm 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 there. Uh, you know, while I'm watching stuff render in Premiere uh i'm there all the time
3: i'm adding you on linkedin right now because i feel do it. that
2: would make my profile
3: just so cool do it <laughs>
0: you can add you can add me on linkedin i check it about once every three months so but i've been talking into it so i'm on there um tw- twitter Twitter's my place that i hang out despite all the toxic horribleness of it i still I've, it's a great site and a lot of great writers and horror fans on there it's it's uh uh so that's where you can find me at, at thembob bob t-h-e m and mary b-o-b at them bob is my handle on twitter please come say hi i love talking shop and talking about scary stuff
1: okay well uh i guess there's really nothing else to say other than say spook stay spooky
0: need even more scream kings here's our obligatory
2: shameless social media plug Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream
3: Kings Pod. You could also email us at Screen Kings Podcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support
2: the show by going to patreon.com forward slash ScreamKings. Stay spooky.